0: The Brexit Breakdown Podcast, from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, journalist, author, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And if you want to learn about UK politics... There really is only one man to turn to, I'd say, Sir John Curtis, the election knight himself. That's knight the K, you see, because he's a knight. Um, he's Professor of Politics at the University of Strathclyde. He is President of the British Polling Council. And most importantly, for our purposes, he's a member of the UK and a Changing Europe team. So, who does one team him with on a podcast? This heavyweight of British politics... A comedian, of course. I first saw Gronje Maguire doing a show at the Edinburgh Fringe called Gronje Maguire's One Hour All Night Election Special. It was a very sweet sort of tribute to what makes election nights so special. These days, Gronje's uh, probably best known as the, uh, the comedy EU correspondent on Matt Ford's unspun TV show, and she hosts her own live panel show what has the news ever done for me and you can download that as a podcast as well so john grognier and i got together at a uk and a changing europe event held a few weeks ago at the royal society Uh, So there's a bit of background noise, I'm afraid, but don't let that put you off because I am properly excited about this episode. It's really interesting as we discuss Ireland, immigration and what Brexit has done for, or maybe I should say to, comedy. But since we had the election night himself, that's night with a K, there before us, Um, Before we started talking about Brexit, we started with a bit of a chat about the famous election night, that's election night without a K, the famous election night exit poll that Sir John is responsible for. I'm always fascinated with people like yourself, um, how aware you are of how you're perceived, because you are basically part of the constitution now, you know, the the exit poll revealed by yourself, it is like part of the process of election night. Do you feel that, or is it just another job to you? Is it just a thing you do?
1: Um, Well, you're you're, you're certainly right that because the exit poll has had a fair degree of success at recent elections, (laughs) that that, uh, people have now come to regard it as reasonably authoritative and certainly don't. You know, particularly you know, interesting in 2017, they didn't try to charge it right away. I think lots of people had their doubts, but they kept mm-hmm. them to themselves. Um, uh, the, the truth is, of course, having some 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 kind of exit poll and uh, trying to f- anticipate what's going to happen. I mean, that long predates when I've had any, any involvement for it. Um, so, to that extent, at least, I mean, exit polls have of have some description of have long been, in hmm. truth, some part of the election night coverage. I think it's just simply because more recently, A, the exit polls have been accurate, when B, some of the other polling has been inaccurate, it's kind of given it a particular kudos it probably otherwise wouldn't have.
0: Yes, they've been very surprising, it's fair to say. Do you enjoy that, getting it right?
1: After the event, yes. Um, (laughs) It's obviously a fairly um, potentially nerve-wracking exercise Uh, as you go through it. But, you know, we've now done three elections in a row in which the. Uh, results have been different from what people expected. I have to say, it's got a bit easier in the sense that uh, one of the great secret weapons now of the exit pollster is Twitter. Mm-hmm. In the sense that from Twitter you get a sense much more quickly than you do from the results that you see being declared on the television of what is happening. In other words, those tweets that tell you that X is in trouble in Y. So for example, I'll give you two examples. You know, in 2015 we said the SNP were going to win virtually every seat in Scotland. And yeah. uh, not even Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP leader, was willing to believe it. But, oh, you know, i uh, and surprisingly, my Twitter feed has lots of kind of, you know, Scottish political journalists on it, and they're all at various counts, and they're all saying, you know, the SNP are winning, the SNP will go to win. So we knew fairly rapidly we got the result right. And equally this time, um, although the early results on air kind of suggest, well, oh, maybe the exit poll's a little bit wrong, Actually, again, the figures that were coming in from Twitter, well, not the figures, but the the mood that was coming in from Twitter, you know, lots of places where the Conservatives were in trouble. For example, I think certainly the moment that somebody said on Twitter Amber Rudd is potentially in trouble in Hastings, you kind of knew that probably we were roughly in the right territory.
0: Well, that's fascinating because, of course, the the conventional wisdom is that Twitter is this little bubble. I mean, you know, Twitter and stuff... Political journalists yes. before the election, we were all telling each other the Tories are going to win by a mile, and that reinforced yes, but, it. But, 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 but this is
1: people at yeah. the counts mm. who are, in truth, to some degree, stretching the law because you're not meant to disseminate what's yes, going on. Sounds true. Count, yeah. man, okay, but you know, so nobody says exactly what's going on. But as it were, you know, if, uh, they will tweet things like Labour faces looking glum in in, mm. in Octomati or whatever, and that you know, you put those together, and if you know. The constituencies you're talking yeah. about then you get a sense of well actually we've got an idea here of roughly at least what territory we're in and we certainly knew from that fairly early on we were not in conservative landline territory couldn't have told you uh, yeah the tories definitely won't have an overall majority but certainly telling you it's not much either side of 426.
0: Yeah. wow that's interesting why do you love election nights growing up?
2: i just love the the real sense of that change is actually happening Mm. and i love the the politicians reacting in real time and do you how do you find when when you hear sort of a commentator saying well if they're the exit polls i'm going to eat my hat do you kind of feel like come on mate (laughs) Um, i'm going to show you
1: that's become part of the sport of (laughs) of it of you know of who is going to be willing to say we've got it wrong in the game by 2017 everybody Mm. had stopped uh, (laughs) stopped doing no, that's fine. I, to, to be honest, you know, it's all part of the it's all part of the fun in the game. But I agree with you that election night election nights are dramatic for two reasons. One is particularly in that first hour when all they've got is the exit poll oh. mm. mm. and maybe yes. whatever they've been told by you know, by. by uh, and there's this, there's that there's that kind of hour when frankly nobody really knows quite sure what's going to happen yeah and you see the politicians but it's sometimes interesting because so, sometimes they will sound more confident than others and evidently they think they you know, they think the exit polls right or whatever mm-hmm. or, or not but but that, that that's the moment when as it were they really are having to try to uh, to, to 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 say something without saying too uh, saying very much the second bit undoubtedly is when actually the change happens and certainly for me the most dramatic election night, which was nothing to do with the sophology was 1997. I mean, particularly the time when Michael Portillo yeah. um, fell, and the camera shots went. You know, Portillo went, and the, uh, the camera shots went to people like William Waldegrave, Julian Shepherd, in their constituencies, and the horror on their face as they suddenly realised the Tories were facing disaster. An interesting thing about that, it was, it was pure drama. I mean, in fact. I had a producer next to me saying, well, now "What have we got to say? What have we say? And I said, "Sit down, shut up. We're not going to get anything on air for the next ninety minutes. But it's the picture that tells the story." Yeah. Now that, that's unusual in having an election where basically the drama is so fantastic uh, and, and stark and tells the story that you don't need a great deal of sophology to fill the night out. Mm-hmm. Well, on other occasions, it's a it's a. Not quite so
0: exciting. And there's a space for comedy in that, right? Because it's dramatic. Because I, people are falling on their faces.
2: And I think it's the vulnerability as well. I think mm-hmm. we're so used to seeing politicians very guarded, very sort of uh, controlled. But when somebody has to stand on stage and smile, like you think of Nick Clegg uh, last year, yeah. and you just see these are human people, and they're humiliated, and yes. they just smile and clap. Yes. And yes. I just think that's fascinating.
0: Talking and editing, talking and editing from your point of view, Brexit, uh, has it screwed up comedy in the sense that Uh, for a start, nobody knows what's going to happen next?
2: It's, what I find difficult is it's very easy to lose a room if you make the wrong sort of joke about Brexit. (laughs) Like I had, people have a very emotional response to it and um, jokes that work Ninety percent of the time, if you say it in the wrong room,
1: really, you're what's the wrong so now, And is this now more is this now more difficult than making jokes about conservative or about Labour?
2: I think so. Yeah, I think so.
0: What's the wrong joke? What's the wrong? So room? I
2: had I've a jo- <laughs> I've a joke in my set where I say and I was very upset about. Like, so even a simple joke like it, so to start off, I go so um do we um how do we feel about Brexit? Now if people go yeah then you're like okay I'm going to have to scrap the next (laughs) bill I have a joke about that I was very upset the night of Brexit and Mm. I cried and the only thing I could find to dry my tears was my Irish passport and then like "Ha, ha, ha 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 which is like silly but then some people have a very emotional response to it like oh no it's going to be the best thing ever or yeah, well, to... it's widely. Well that is just
1: because it's actually one of the things that's coming out some of the academic research that um, mm. Sarah Hobart the other scene in particular done is that indeed a lot of people now have this attachment to either being a remainer or a lever. Yeah. And that in some senses those attachments may now even be stronger than people feeling conservative or labour mm. or whatever. Yeah. and So that's certainly that you know you know what well, that's also there in the academic data. <laughs> uh, but that people some people at least on both sides really do feel very strongly about this. And it's as it were now colours the Way in which they look at the physical world.
0: Well, that's what I am going to ask actually, that is the impact it has actually had on politics. Do we know, or is it still in a state of flux?
1: What do you mean by impact? impact in terms of
0: what? are people now more remain and leave? I mean, Matt Goodwin says people aren't interested in economics, e- economics, economics so much, no more, it's a, it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's the remain leave thing, and it's not so much class and it's not so much party. Is that true, or are we still in a sort of very well, well, what, what, fluid state with regard well, to... Well, what the, is
1: certainly true well. um, is that the values that divide Remainers and Leavers are different from the values that divide Conservatives and Labour. Mm. Okay, What is traditionally has been the case. Traditionally, Conservatives and Labour are divided by essentially whether you are somebody who thinks that society is a bit too unequal and maybe the state should do something about it, in which case you tend to be Labour, or actually you think it's more important to create incentives so that the economy grows and maybe the state should butt out of things a bit, in which case you're inclined to be concerned. That's the classic left-right economic divide, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you are on the left or whether you're on the right was virtually make no difference at all to your probability of voting Remain or Leave all right okay. remain the remain in the division cut across the left right division right what made a difference is whether you are somebody whom we might regard as a social liberal so a social liberal yeah. is somebody who um, thinks that living in a multi-ethnic multicultural multi society is fantastic all right yeah and there are people who say that we actually uh, it's fine to have a diverse society, and we don't all need to necessarily conform to the same set of social mores or to feel enthused by the same set of, of, of symbols. At the other end of the spectrum, there are social conservatives who are, are much more comfortable living in a homogenous society with a common culture, mm. common social mores, etc. Social conservatives tended to vote leave, social liberals tended to vote remain. And that's that's the so it's that division between social concerns and social liberals which has become ex- it's always been there we've always had the two sure, types yeah. of people but that's now become the, the Brexit's now the centerpiece of our debate is it then is it effect going forward well it is for, uh, it is at least until the negotiations right. are over and probably beyond there isn't a great deal of that that is being talked about. And um, it's the thing that's consuming politicians. It's the biggest decision we've taken, and you know, given also that you know, as we've both agreed, it also now raises re- re- a lot of emotions. Mm. Um, it, it clearly also matters to the public. But the point is that what the, the division is about a different set of values. It's a set of values that are usually secondary in our politics, yeah. but have now become major. Which, of course, and because they are different values and because they cut across left and right, this helps to explain why both Conservative and Labour have difficulty dealing with the issue, (laughs) because both of them find their support divided, albeit that Leave voters are more likely to vote Conservative and remain voters are more likely to vote Labour, but it's far from a perfect relationship. Therefore, both parties find themselves feeling their way, trying to keep their coalitions together, about this... Very emotional but Mm. divisive issue.
0: Are you surprised when socially conservative Brexiteers turn up to your shows?
2: Well, (laughs) because sometimes we don't have the luxury of of screening our audience. (laughs) And if somebody is, you know, usually if you're just doing a gig, there could be several acts on the bill and they're there for a night of comedy. And I think the difference is if you are, you know, poking fun at a conservative or a Labour person, people don't. It doesn't feel personal to the audience. And I think with Brexit and Remain, okay, it feels yeah. like you're making fun uh, uh, of okay. them. It's not like, Theresa May, fine. You know, you can be a Tory person, but see, she can be... Yeah, you can to, still really... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, you are
1: know, it's actually difficult to make jokes without... As we're talking about the people who voted for Remain. Now, presumably, you can make jokes about Michel Barnier, <laughs> Boris Johnson...
2: I mean, Boris Johnson... But, again... feel very protective so it's like people's brains shut down so if they voted to remain to leave anything about Europe they hate they're the worst but then if you there's nothing more boring than if you're doing a gig and everybody voted to remain and then it becomes a bit like preaching to the choir which again as a comedian isn't very interesting if you're all just going oh it's in UKIP awful aren't we isn't it lucky that we're all the right ones, everything's going to be a disaster. Would you
0: describe yourself as a political comedian?
2: Um, uh, in my head, like, when I think of political comedian, I think of somebody who has an opinion and is through comedy trying to change people's opinion. Mm. And I don't really see myself in that way, but I think it's very, imp- I feel, um, I think it's important to express my opinions on things, but I don't necessarily like aim to I think it's more funny like to, to find the ridiculousness in it rather than change people's minds.
0: It's comedy about politics rather than political comedy, is that perhaps?
2: Yeah, or just, I mean... I, I'm really interested in, I think some people see politics as something quite dry and mm. if they don't understand it, they're not entitled to an opinion and it's all too confusing and they want to just not mm. get involved. But I think when you do that, you leave politics to a very, very narrow group of people who don't n- necessarily make the best decisions. So I think it's much better to include people and make it sort of more human and relatable rather than sort of going, well, we all remember in the Maastricht voting, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, which
1: which is why, of course, my popular newspapers in particular tend to focus on the human interest aspect yeah. of politics, rather than indeed the dry policy, because that's, you know, an awful lot of news coverage is about who's up and who's down, rather than necessarily the substance of the issues at mm-hmm. stake.
0: Yeah, it's the soap opera. I was talking to an MP this morning who was saying he'd raised an issue, a serious issue, and ended a silly tweet. He was like, oh, I'm so annoyed because the, the issue I raised has been completely wiped out. Everyone's focused on the soap opera. It's like, well, maybe you should have seen that coming. <laughs> But has the, the divisions we've just been talking about, the way Brexit has sort of altered our politics, mm-hmm. has that made it harder to make jokes about it? Because it's harder to read that room, um, because there's these, these another layer of division. I mean, it's not another layer, because as you say, it's always been there, but it's, um, that, it's been promoted, if you like, in terms of importance, that Remain-Leave split now.
2: I think it's... You know how when you're with your family you can say something and it will cause a really like, you know with the family more than anybody else, it's all (laughs) going to explode. Yeah. Well, it kind of feels like now we've all got that one topic that if you say it at the wrong time, and it's it's just added an extra layer of, I think, because I just think we're, so I'm North London, vote for Jeremy Corbyn, feminist, I'm I'm Nigel Farage's fear of what uh, Europe is doing to the United Kingdom and but like I've got lots of friends who are conservatives or I've got you know my parents are quite centre-right and you know it's about finding you know the the thing that unites everybody and what I think is sad about Brexit is it's it's this one thing where it's sort of it's emotions and sort of Mm. logic doesn't seem to be yeah, it's, it's interesting connected. you talk
0: about the emotions, isn't it? Because yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be you don't talk about politics and religion, mm-hmm. but actually politics you can't talk about because it used to be economics. And, you know, yeah. if that's yeah. okay to talk about that yeah. to say, well, I think you know, there should be a quality of opportunity. I think there should be nationalised railways. Yeah. That it's not going to hurt anybody. But as you say, when Brexit is so emotional. Yeah. That well, yes, because it's also,
1: you know, it, it also, it's also, it's not just about. I mean, the fact that people have remain and leave um, has kind of become an identity itself. That's also because, of course, um, uh, whether or not you, what you feel about Brexit also often expresses your sense of identity. Mm. So the minority of us who feel strongly European have a strong investment in this. Um, And we know, for example, particularly in England, those with an English sense of identity tend to be more Leave. Those are British are more. So again, people's sense of national identity, mm. Mm. you know, is also interlaying into this into this um, wider political debate. And,
2: and I think as well, what's difficult in a, uh, for comedy is that it feels like nothing. It feels like there's been a lot of drama, but nothing quite has actually happened. Like I find. From trying to make topical jokes about it, you're kind of go, you're trying to keep up with everything, but at the same time, nothing seems to happen. But people are angry and people are fighting with each other. <laughs> but no, it's it's even with the Northern Ireland thing. It's like so. Is the source then? I mean, kind of, but we're leaving it for now. Yeah, okay. So it's hard to engage people because people are like I'm bored and i confused and. Something, it's like World War One, like waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> a little bit of drama, then waiting, waiting, waiting.
0: <laughs> what is funny about Brexit?
2: Oh, God, what is funny about is Brexit? Is Brexit funny? I mean... Sounds like a no. I'm trying to think what I talk about. It genuinely makes me really sad. It really, really, really makes me sad because it feels like when I moved to... I saw I've got quite nationalist parents... And they always have this view of British people that they're quite arrogant, that they think they're special and yeah, they're patronizing. And then I moved to the United Kingdom, <laughs> But that was reached. not my experience. Like I've lived in London for ten years. I remember the opening sea at uh, the opening sea thing of the Olympic Games. I oh, was yeah. like, That is why I love London. That's why UK, <laughs> this is and it feels ever since Brexit, it just feels like I'm seeing this Britain, that my parents told me about.
0: It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. We're mm-hmm. at the event for, what's it called, Brexit and British Public Opinion? British mm-hmm. Brexit and Public Opinion. Yeah. Your chapters on immigration. How big a part of the political discourse is that now? Is immigration, again, much like the, the leave remain divide, is immigration with us for the foreseeable future well, as uh, an issue?
1: It, it 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 will remain with us as an issue for as long as the UK is going through this experience of uh, relatively high levels of net inward migration by its own historical experience. Uh, I mean, the first thing you need to understand about the UK is it actually has got something in common with with Ireland, although not on quite the same scale, which is that historically it's been a net exporter population. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, not least because we sent people off to the Empire and they went yes. to Australia Ankara, <laughs> yeah. and Canada and wherever all right um, And uh, the, the period of the last 15 to years or so, the UK has experienced a higher level of network migration than it's experienced since the flight of the Huguenots, right It's very high by our own standards. So and until frankly the level of immigration, um, goes down, it's going to remain an issue. Okay, okay? it's going to be an issue on one side because if we, if we're continuing to uh, to attract people, that means that business here are attracting people, and they presumably mm. want this, so it's an issue for them. I to for those on the other side. Hang on, we're still getting more people to speak with. You know, okay, they might speak English well, but they don't necessarily speak it in an accent that I recognise. Um, that's So that that will be the case. Now, what's, however, also true, I think you have to understand, is that but for that historical experience and but for two fateful political statements, we would not be going out of the European Union. Immigration is actually central to the story. The first crucial decision was in 2004 when, ironically, the UK, together with Ireland and Sweden, were the only countries that allowed the, the new EU citizens, from the, the so-called 8 accession countries like Poland, Czech Republic, etc., to have the rights, uh, the freedom of movement rights straight away. Yeah. We did not delay, unlike virtually every other member of the yeah. European Union, right? And we, we were told the Polish government said, no more than 100,000 people will come. Yes. And the Polish pro can be a stereotype. So, that, so the point is, we, we, are, we opened our doors, we were very European, and that caused a reaction second mistake of course was 2010 david cameron said yep. right that uh, uh, we're going to get immigration down to below hundred thousand and getting nowhere near it mm-hmm. and those two things together with the fact that the democrats were in coalition with the conservatives who were not around to be able to use the protest party yep. allows ukip to take off they, they they link the issue of immigration with europe which they could very very easily do and that's why where we are now and equally when it comes to the referendum vote itself the issue that, above all, was the key uh, winning issue for the Leave side was immigration. Because something like 60% of people thought that immigration would fall if we left. Actually, some people voted Remain despite what they thought. But that without that issue, we would you, know, we c- you can get a substantial Leave vote, but you would not have got the majority. So, so the referendum happened because of immigration. The vote was, as it was, because of immigration in some sense, and the reason why Brexit is now so difficult to negotiate is because of the UK public's views about immigration. It is difficult for us to continue freedom of movement, and given that the European Union links membership of the single market with freedom of movement, therefore we are struggling to come up with a solution that enables us to control immigration but has some uh, kind of uh, relatively close relationship with the EU, at least that's what the UK government wants. That, so again, immigration is absolutely central to the argument. It, it, if, we, if the UK public wasn't concerned about immigration, we could go for a soft Brexit-stroke, Norway-type yeah. uh, solution uh, tomorrow.
0: But then we wouldn't have voted out if the UK wasn't bothered about it. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, you're saying it's all Nick Clegg's fault.
1: No no, 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 no. In truth, it starts with Tony Blair and the 2004 Labour government. Yeah. Um, it then continues with David Cameron. And yes, then uh, it's probably an, one of the unintended consequences of Nick Clegg's decision. Oh, to the unintended
0: consequences, eh? <laughs> um, you're an immigrant. <laughs> Are you worried about getting deported?
2: Um... This
1: is what I get a bit emotional about. Yeah, I mean... I no, look, like, never, never hang on, she's an Irish citizen and we've had freedom of movement with the Irish Republic for donkey's oh, years. OK. It predates the European Union. Uh, you are all right. Uh, yeah, I think there is no doubt that the one country that will continue to enjoy freedom of movement post brexit are Irish citizens. Nah, you're all right. I mean, you. you don't cut this, then
2: yeah. what I think is so funny is that, like, Canada is closer to the United Kingdom than Ireland. It's it's so... Because Ireland, we've got a very, very different relationship to the EU because of our history. We've got a long history of people, because at the Catholic Church, a lot of people studying in France yeah. and initially yeah. in Spain. Yeah. And during our various rebellions we got help from yes. the Spanish and the yeah. French. And um, yeah, we... we, we we kind of there's a more of a, a real sort of optimistic outward feeling towards the EU. In so Ireland. what's the
0: feeling towards Brexit then? It, what was the reaction and what's the ongoing
2: feeling? So what? Feeling? And again, it's so hard because comedy is all about sort of being glib. But it's so yeah. what I found really, really difficult was um. So in the last few months, Polish whole of the Northern Irish border, it was presented as Ireland just causing trouble. Oh, we don't want a Brexit. We're just causing trouble when. The northern, you know, the peace process has mm. been, it's like the jewel in the crown of what Ireland and Britain has achieved in the past, you know, 30 years. And there's just a real fear in Ireland and a real frustration that um, the UK has been so cavalier about it. And I found that really frustrating. And then just the lack of knowledge that Britain, through its school system, has by teaching the history of northern ireland yes. like simple things that you know
1: yeah but the t- see, what you have to realize is that for on this side of the water northern ireland is a semi-detached part of the united kingdom and um, it's a while since any polling has been done but certainly uh, throughout most of the period of the troubles, the majority of people inside the UK would be quite happy for Northern Ireland to join the Republic. There mm-hmm. isn't a strong commitment to Northern Ireland is frankly by many people not regarded as British, right? Mm-hmm. It's a funny place with funny arguments and funny clerics and be quite happy to lose it tomorrow, mm-hmm. thank so much.
2: It's a bit like Northern Ireland is like um so Ireland and the UK's it's our our child and Ireland looks after it and but he hates us but then the uk swans in takes them swimming brings them to mcdonald's <laughs> he doesn't want to come back
0: since we're talking about ireland leo Varadkar. Yes. what's he all about well, I, don't know. I mean i only see him from a distance from again you know over here we sort of see him popping up once in a while he seems like a bit of a he, he seems like an absolute boy
2: he's a very interesting person so um, he's very center right And he was very unpopular. He launched this phone line um, of if somebody's. uh... What sort
0: of phone line? This is a (laughs) second ago in all sorts of different places.
2: Um, so if, if somebody is a benefit cheat, ring up this phone line, basically. Ooh. So he's very centre right, uh, but then uh, when he became the tea shop because he's gay and his dad is from India, he was sort of seen internationally as this, this, this. Yeah. Uh, oh look how liberal Ireland is! When actually he's very. But surely the fact
1: that somebody with views as socially liberal as his, who is now going to be willing to contemplate holding a referendum on abortion in the Republic is also telling you how very, very different Ireland is from even 20 years ago.
2: Even up until a year ago, he was very anti-choice when it came to abortion mm. rights. Right. And in an interview, he actually said, he compared it to what just because something is legal in another country, like if you go to Las Vegas, what you do in Las Vegas... Like, he actually compared abortion rights to going on holidays to Amsterdam and smoking weed there. So Mm. the fact that uh, during his premiership he has moved Mm. from sort of a very sort of flippant attitude to... um, Or maybe even
1: more importantly, has felt able to. Well... Right?
2: I I mean, mean, mean how far he's changed
1: his views and how far he now feels able to change the views he expresses... Yeah. It may
2: not be the same thing. Yeah. Well, I just like he gave a speech saying that he would be campaigning to repeal the Eighth Amendment, which was fantastic, and I was very, very surprised. And I think a lot of people were surprised by just how reasonable and progressive and compassionate the speech was. So I think that was. It's really, yeah. I have a lot of respect for him after to see the journey he's gone on.
0: He wears interesting socks. That's what I know about him.
2: And he goes. He goes jogging.
0: Uh, He strikes me as a pound shop Justin Trudeau.
2: Oh, I don't fair? know. I don't know a paint shop, a, a, a Celtic a Celtic. Oh, Justin he's not. there with Justin Trudeau.
0: He's not as good as Justin <laughs> no, Trudeau. No, well, who is? Well, nobody, that's why we should Macron, all move to I Canada. Think. Oh, Macron, yes. Well, well, go on then, since we've got John here, you mentioned Macron. Can we have a new party? Is that actually possible?
1: Well, the answer to you is that um, we have had a new party. It was called UKIP. I mean, it was only founded in the uh, early 1990s. Um, and, uh, it, and, it, and it's the one and only mm. party to make a major incursion into party politics in England. We've had obviously the SNP mm. in Scotland and Plaid mm. in Wales make incursions in the 1970s. Um, that is effectively an insurgent new party. It's just it may now be about to disappear as quickly as it emerged. <laughs> um, so you know, so yeah, yes, you can. But is it? But could you repeat Macron here? No. Um, remember that Macron is the product of a presidential system, or the parliamentary system. Mm. And you know, he didn't ask anybody, a, a, a bunch of MPs, to make him uh, 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 to make him um, the leader of their party. You know, he decided to stand. He's splitting the socialist movement. He then, of course, had the extraordinary luck that his principal conservative opponent kind of. Collapsed over the inability to explain some of the, relation, the way in which his wife true. was being paid, which without which probably Macron would not have succeeded, and the centre right would have won.
0: I suppose the question is, given the, the new or the, the uh, I don't know if you want to call it new, but the divisions that Brexit has thrown up that we've talked about already, yes. and yet you are suggesting that the party system will still somehow absorb those divisions rather than being fluid like in France. Is that fair to say? A
1: fair question. The fascinating thing about what's happened and what happened in year's general election is that indeed, as we said earlier, the values that underlie the Brexit debate are different from the values that normally underpin Conservative versus Labour voting. And the fascinating thing is, despite that's the case, that in the general election we had the highest level of support for Conservative and Labour combined since the early 1970s. And that and that in contrast it, it, it's not that these values never matter but usually they get expressed that way. So the Liberal Democrats mm. yeah. historically tend to do well amongst social liberals. And UKIP, surprise surprise, did yeah. well amongst social concerns and the fascinating thing is that now that Brexit became the centrepiece of our, of our political debate um, it was, that, 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 that second argument, that division about social concerns and social liberals became articulated through the old two-party system yeah. rather than through new parties. Now, you know, I think in part, you know, I, I can kind of give you an immediate explanation. The immediate explanation on one side is that uh, UKIP was A, imploding in the wake of uh, Farage, and B, lots of uh, people who wanted UKIP just went, well, hang on, given the first past of the post system, if I want us to have Brexit, I need to vote for Theresa May, because otherwise we may get the Labour Party. On the other side of the fence, it's a bit more complicated. Um, Clearly if you um, insofar as you know Liberal Democrats were trying to uh, trying to win people over. And the people the Liberal Democrats would win over are the people who seem to have gone to the Labour Party, right? A what they tried to do in the election was to ride a one-horse pony. You know, yeah. the only thing that was a second referendum well, that's a very pro it's a very process yes. call. Cool. Well second thing of course, if you're trying to appeal to social liberals, it kind of be a wee bit difficult if then your leader happens to be somebody who has rather socially conservative views Ah, about same-sex relationships. Ah, Not the easiest way of appealing to that community. And then third, of course, there is still the backdrop of the coalition, uh, the tuition fees fiasco, which again is probably something that particularly concerns university graduates who tend to be social liberal. So, against that, they they weren't able to basically use situation. Now, I think there's a fascinating question If you know, insofar as you're saying, does immigration remain a central issue? But if it is still a major issue in two years' time, and if maybe the Labour Party has proven to be. Um, not as soft on Brexit as people were anticipating or hoping, and maybe ends up backing the UK, whatever the UK government manages to negotiate, which might be regarded as relatively hard by some people. Whether in those circumstances the Liberal Democrats will then be able to appeal for that community is, is, is an open question. But certainly, so in part, in the case of UKIP side, I think it's the squeeze by the electoral system. Um, on the other side of the fence, it's the contingent history of the Liberal Democrats and the nature of their leader that rather made their life more difficult. It's always the Lib Dems.
0: Lib Dems are always key, aren't they? It's not Northern Ireland that's weird, is it? It's Britain that's weird. Britain's just a weird weird. weird. place, isn't it? Um, You did mention UKIP. Paul Nuttles, as Stuart Lee used to call him. Paul Nuttles with his UKIPs. God, he's a funny guy. He's a gift for it. The UKIPs must have been a Gift for a comedian for jokes.
2: He doesn't interest me. He's just a sad man <laughs> in a dying party with a racist girlfriend. So. Ah, oh, no Henry, oh, Henry Bolton. Oh, Henry Bolton. Mixed
0: up See, one they're boring. nutty leader with another one.
2: I just find them quite boring because I think ideas are interesting, and I just don't think the UKIP have any ideas.
0: Best thing. Oh. Worst thing. So, what's going to be the Best thing about Brexit?
2: So I think, fingers crossed, um, there'll be a second referendum oh, yeah. and Britain will stay in, change its mind. That, you can't
0: have that as the best thing about and Brexit because no, that wait, might wait. not happen.
2: So, and um, what I think the best thing that will come out of the whole thing is we went from knowing nothing about how the EU really works to yeah. a very, very, very expensive public education on the role of the EU in, in Britain. I feel like now everybody kind of thinks they're an expert on it, so I think that would be the best thing to Do come out it.
0: really think there's going to be a second referendum?
2: Look, I'm trying to I see it. If I will come, <laughs> come to him in a minute. I'm asking you. Um, uh, I'm going to say yes. I'm an optimist.
0: You've been talking about this today, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is there <laughs> going to be a second referendum?
1: Only if there is a substantial change of public opinion as registered by the opinion polls so that there clearly is a majority in favour of the main, and that hasn't happened so far. Only if then, if the Labour Party as a result of that come out in favour of the second referendum, and then only if, if there is a sufficient rebellion at some point in the next six months in the House of Commons uh, such that the government loses the vote. The consequence probably will be that the government will collapse at the same time, but that's another whole story.
0: Probably not, there's any <laughs> answer to that. Um, the worst thing about Brexit?
2: The worst thing about Brexit is how emotional everybody's getting about it. Oh, it's good to be emotional, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Um, so emo- how and how nothing seems to be happening, how slow-moving it is. People are getting sort of emotional. It's like people are getting really angry at a cloud. Very <laughs> slow-moving, boring cloud.
0: Yeah, I've never been angry at a cloud. It's quite an interesting <laughs> idea, though. Uh, well, uh, they can be a bit annoying when they rain on you. Have you ever, have you ever shaken your fist <laughs> at the clouds? God clouds. Um, and, oh, I always get the name of this feature wrong. Um, in the unlikely event, this podcast has not proved sufficiently enlightening.
2: In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently.
0: Recommendations for understanding Brexit. Because... As you say, everyone's an expert, everyone's interested, um, but perhaps everyone needs a little help to figure out, to understand what is going on um, and maybe come at it in a sort of different direction. Um, let's start with you, Bronya, what would you recommend?
2: Uh, well, I don't know if I'm allowed um Mention another podcast. You are? So there's this podcast that I cannot recommend enough. It's called The Irish Passport. Okay. And it's uh, sort of a... It it's, it's describes sort of a, a guide to Irish politics and history. And they've done several episodes all about... Um, the history of Ireland's relationship with the EU and, specifically, the impact Brexit is going to have on Ireland and Northern Ireland. So it's um, re- I'd really recommend it.
0: And because British people probably should know a bit more about Irish history.
2: It, it helps. And
0: because Irish history is really interesting. I mean, it's like Star Wars and stuff, isn't it? There's, like, rebellions and battles and interesting characters and stuff. I mean, there's no, like, lightsabers or spaceships, but
2: I mean, it is yeah. actually...
0: If you, I mean, obviously, often people are a bit too close to it to perhaps... Appreciate it, but it's exciting, queens. isn't it?
2: Chieftains, is I was called that. a Pirate Queen. A Growing pirate a whale, queen? yeah, a Pirate Queen.
0: What, a Pirate Queen of Ireland?
2: Yeah, you see, this is, what you're, this is what Britain is missing out on. Yeah,
1: you need to read more yet, sir.
0: <laughs> um Right, well, there we go. I'm, I'm educated already. I'm <laughs> going to find out about the Pirate Queen. Is that the best place to start and then move on from there?
2: At, well, you'd be, you might peek at the Irish, because maybe start off at Brexit and then find out about the Irish Queen as so a little dessert, a little pudding afterwards.
0: Well, alright. Um, John, what would you recommend? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if, if
1: you're wanting to try to understand better what's going on, I mm-hmm. mean, first of all, I would say you need to know what to avoid. Avoid anything that comes out of the two cups. Um, you know, those, okay. who Maine, those who are campaigning arguing for Maine, those are campaigning arguing for Leave, because the truth is, they are both of them primarily engaged in the selective the selection of facts to suit their own case. I would just come very close to home. I think if, if actually if you want to understand what's going on, a good place to start is actually to leaf through the blogs that are put on this website, UK and the EU, yeah. but then also to use the links that they point to to point you to other sources. Uh, but that's a good place to come to if you want to, come to some reasonably dispassionate analysis to get an understanding of what actually is going on.
0: I know, I barred guests from recommending their own stuff, but it's Sir John Curtis. He didn't exactly recommend his own stuff. He just recommended everything by the UK and a changing Europe. And he said, click on the link. So that's not even his own stuff, is it? But to be honest, just read all his stuff anyway, because he's so wise. In amongst all that, I think he said Nick Clegg is to blame for everything ever, basically. And um, that got me thinking, I must get Sir Nick, as he is now to come on the podcast and defend himself sometime soon. We're past halfway in this series now so if there is someone you think we should have on as a guest and I'm particularly keen to hear about any leavers you want to hear from then please get in touch you can get me, I am at political yeti on twitter, the email address is UK in a changing europe podcasts at gmail.com or my website is james-miller.com and you can get the UK and a Changing Europe team at at UK and EU on Twitter. That's at UK and EU. And their website is UKandEU.ac.uk. There's all sorts of goodies on there. We do really want to hear from you. Uh, join me in a couple of weeks for another episode. I've got a couple of fun ones lined up, but I'm not sure what order I'll release them in yet. Uh, again, get in touch if you would rather hear a lady or a man next I've got one man and one woman in the, in the bag, as it were. Um, so by all means, let me know your preference and that might sway which one I put out next. The music has again, this episode, been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. And this has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.